Hey everyone, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFose. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. And before we get started, we're going to talk to you about something that you've all been asking about. You're all asking, how can you get more support? How can we, Lorian and I, reach out to you and help you with your own projects? And our answer is the Patreon. We created it really just to help you. Um, come on over. It's the Screenwriting Life uh, Patreon. We've got question and answers over there. We listen to your stories and do spitball sessions. There's It's stuff that's been recorded in the past. And it really is just to help you with your stories um, as best we can. So we're looking forward to meeting you all over there and uh, we'd love for you to join us. And I will say for those that we met at AFF who joined, there's been a good number of you. We can't wait to meet you on the Zoom. We'll see you soon. Today, we're thrilled to be chatting with season three showrunner of The Morning Show, Charlotte Stout. Charlotte has an impressive career in the hour-long TV drama space, having worked as a writer-producer on Homeland, House of Cards, Fosse Verdon, and Netflix Pieces of Her, which she co-created in addition to showrunning. Stout was brought on to showrun season three of The Morning Show, which continues the show's tradition of incorporating real-world politics into its fictionalized universe. Hi, Charlotte. Welcome to the show. Thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. So, but before we chat with Charlotte, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Uh, Charlotte, we'll let Lorian go first, show you how it's done. Uh, Lorian, how was your week? So my week has been about re-entry. Uh, I spent three weeks in Italy at the Nostos Screenwriting Retreat, mentoring eight writers. And from there, I left Thursday morning at 9 a.m. and I arrived in Austin, Texas at midnight. I'm not quite sure how many hours I traveled, but I think it was about 24. Austin was a blur. Uh, I know I had a great time because I left feeling good, but my memory on like what was actually happening was really jet laggy. So this week has been about figuring out how to be in my life again and how to transition to writing. Uh, I spent those three weeks. My plan was to write in the morning and work with the writers in the afternoon. And uh, what I realized is that that is a lot that I have to really figure out and respect my own limitations and my energy levels and my ability to do everything. And um, at the beginning of the retreat, I asked everybody to go around and say like what you're proud of. And it was really hard for all of us. Like we went way back in time. I went back to when I was 10. Some people were like, I don't know. It was really hard. And then at the end of the three weeks, the woman who had the biggest struggle with coming up with someone, she's like, I'm going to go first. Like it was because we were in this really um, intense group. Everyone had something really amazing to be proud of. So it was really inspiring and humbling. And I realized what I was proud of was that I did not beat myself up about not getting as much writing done as I had thought, because I was working with the writers from lunchtime to dinner time every day. And that took a lot out of me because I take my mentoring and my teaching very seriously. Um, and whether I should do that or not, I wanted to. So really what this was about was me realizing once again that I am focusing on what I want to do, the projects I want to work on with the people I want to work with. And yes, there's all the shoulds and the have tos attached to those things, but um, that's what I'm realizing. And that's how my week has been. Like, what do I want to do? And I don't want to fold the laundry and I don't want to sweep the floor. And I do want to spend time with my daughter 
and my husband and the dog. So that is what I'm doing and writing. And I'm working on my, my projects that I'm going to take out. So it was a very long, long rambly answer. I think I'm still a little jet lagged, but I'm really focusing on what I want, which is good for character discovery as well. What do you want? Knowing what it feels like to want something is important. So we know what our characters feel like when they want something. So Charlotte, how was your week? Actually, I had such a great week because we're getting back in the room. And when you start thinking about a new season, you know, the whiteboards are just sparkling clean and the index cards are still in the plastic wrap. And you have that feeling of absolutely anything is possible. And it's always just the thing I love most about the business is to sit around a table with other writers. So I have to actually say it's it was a really a week where I felt incredibly grateful to have these smart people saying funny insightful things next to me. That's so awesome. When you were saying about the index cards and I just imagined that sound when you take yes. the <laughs> and it feels so optimistic and hopeful and like exciting, what's going to be on these cards? And you're not imagining to when they're on the floor with scribbles all over them. Like there's still this like lovely white, blue, yellow index cards. So fun. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And then pretty soon, as you say, like you think of like, how are we going to find something? And then two days later, throw all these cards up. It is kind of, it's always astonishing somehow. I can't wait to be where you are once again, saying what you're saying. (laughs) It is like magic, isn't it? You know, it starts out with nothing. And then all of a sudden things start to come and they start to go together. I mean, of course there's the middle ground. I don't know, Charlotte, probably maybe not for you, but for me, there's the middle ground of like, okay, take all this down. <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, I'm a big, I'm a big, everyone knows like my first pitch is my first pitch is terrible. The second one might be okay. But the first one is always like, no. <laughs> right. Like you always like I, when I'm in a room, it's always like, okay, not this, but something is, does this, I, I, does this give fodder to anybody? And I like I find so much you have to give those bad ideas or and because half the time they're not bad. It's just our fear. But also because somebody else might spark something or, you know, you just have to be brave. There's such a bravery to that. Don't you think to say the bad idea in front of all these people? Yeah, I think it gets easier as you go on. You know, you're still sort of like hearing yourself, but, you know, you're just sort of like, let's just do it. Let's just just throw the spaghetti against the wall. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of, we have to do that. Um, my week was, um, I'm a little bit tired too from Austin. I didn't realize how much I gave. And I mean that it, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, but I was, oh, I was tired. I was really tired. And, but I really, I am on deadline, so I need to work. So uh, I didn't allow myself to just go to bed for a day. I, I did keep trying to work. I don't know how much good work I did, but I feel like, Things got bright, written down on a piece of paper. So uh, you did the bad pitch. I, I things are down on paper. That's what I will say. <laughs> um, I also have a partner, so you know, to, for that partner's sake, I can't. You know, you don't want to let your end down uh, for that. Um, and what I'm running into craft wise, and it might be, t- it might be exhaustion. But um, have you ever, did you ever get in that place where there's too much and not enough, like? There's so many great ideas. There's so much pieces everywhere. And yet you're like, I already know. Wait, 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 wait. Where did this piece come from? Where did 
didn't they get that? Wait, wait, I got it. That has to go back and you got to go. We got to weave that in. And do we need to weave? There's I'm in that too much, but not enough stage of the process, which I think is very normal. But I find it annoying (laughs) or just, you know, I just want it. I can't write fast enough, if that makes sense, to try to go back and weave that in. But put that piece together and wait a minute. All of these pieces, what's underneath all of them? What is the big idea? that Did we lose it? It's almost having to think about so many things at once. I'm at that stage. I'm trying to juggle a lot of ideas in my head at the same time. Probably means I need to go back to the cards, back to that whiteboard. Greg, what does your character want? Oh, Why do they want it? What are they willing to do to get it? <laughs> do not give me my own words back to me, please. <laughs> I know uh, I, I think do that's know so that. true, right? You go to like what... What is the basic? Yes. Why is this character on this journey? That's what I always do too, because I get I get busy and excited with ideas, and then it's you have to go like, what is the core thing driving this person? Why does this person need a story told about them? You know, I agree because I I have the same impulse. I I am I am so curious, Charlotte, in terms of when you're doing a TV show, like what I'm writing right now is a feature. Um, which has its own moving parts and all of that and cards everywhere too. But um, my brain can hold a three-act feature in it. You know, uh, when you're doing a whole season of a show and you're breaking that kind of, at that point of the show, of the breakage, when you say going back to the beginning of what do they want, are you plotting a season want an arc and then individual episode season wants to get them there? Or how, how? what is the approach to that want, those basics, when it's for a, sh- a whole season of a show? I think it's probably in a lot of ways pretty similar to, to a movie. Um, I've written a couple of movies. Uh, they, you know, I don't think they were particularly remarkable. They were obviously never made. So I've written pre- screenplays, I should say. Um, but I think it's very similar because I have to think of things in threes because that's how my brain works. So um, either threes or fives sometimes. So I do think you always, I I have to think of like, where does the person start at the beginning of the season and where do they end? What is that journey? What do they need? Like in the really just the, you know, Sid Field 101 version of stuff. And if I'm, if I in the room are clear on that, I find that it helps weed through pitches, right? Um, Or if something, if a pitch comes back, you have a new way into it and it's helping that character. Uh in a way that you didn't think of before. Um, Have you ever been down in that and the rudder changes because you you guys come up with something so fascinating or compelling that it does change that arc and where and where that character's going or maybe one character changes because that's you're you're arcing so many people, right? You're arcing at least I'm trying to think of the morning show quickly. Is, How many you're arcing show. a lot of people on the morning show. It's a crazy. Lot. I think that's the biggest challenge of the show to me is that, you know, there are 10 heroes of their own story in the show. And you're really trying to do justice to that because the actors are so amazing. And so what is the weave to make sure everyone has a journey? Um, but you know, the episodes can only be 55 minutes long. So and are you breaking the whole season at once um, with all of those 10? I, I remember I went into a, a Marvel room once for one of the big multi-character movies and it looked like a crazy den of, you know, just so many things everywhere and pictures and 
The murder was, board. It looked, it looked like, like a murder, murder board. board. It did look like a murder board. Um, how do you, what's the, even the physicality of tracking all of that? We do use a grid, you know, where you're like episodes across the top and then running down as each character and sort of like what happens. So we try to just track them that way. But I tend to start, you know, on this show, you start with Bradley and Alex, you know, and, and what adventure should they have this year? And then you find that very quickly that adventure has, you know, ways in for, for all the rest of the characters. I tend to sort of think about like, what's, what's this story area. And then if I feel like I have one or two big moves that come up, like, oh, mid season, we could do this. Then towards the end, this could happen. Then I have those like three, you know, points that I can hold on to and then sort of build off of that, I guess. Are you doing any kind of, I'm sorry, Lorian. I am just such a big fan of the show and of Charlotte that I keep talking. I'm sorry. Is there, do you do thematics? Because the other thing you're doing is, yeah. is current events. I mean, they're not current, but they're current. I mean, you're, you're interacting with the real world and in a sense. So that's like a whole other layer. So you're having to do thematics that all the characters are traveling on all of their arcs. And how do, how do you then feather in the current events? To me, I, I feel like the part of the genius DNA of the show, you know, the, the Carrie Aaron sort of originated is the way that current events in the show are thematic and emotional mirrors for the characters. So I feel like you have to start with the characters and then it's like, what in the, you know, goulash of news out there is the right story to sort of help illuminate what they're going through or what their dilemma is. And then uh, there are certain stories that, you know, you're just going to do because they make sense for the show, like doing something about Roe. Of course, you're going to touch on that in a show about like women's autonomy and agency just makes sense. Do you find in doing the current events, all of which I love, I love the show, um, but is there any ever any talk or concern about alienating audience? Because there's a very clear, um, let's just see Roe as an example, um, or is it kind of a, a, a real um, commitment to the creators and showrunners and what they want to talk about? It, do you ever get any pushback about that or? I think that's such a great question because again, something that I think was set early in the show was it really wasn't so much of a red blue show because I feel like there's so much of that out in the world. I think what saves the show from kind of that endless debate and also sort of didacticism or lectury stuff is the fact that it always has to be filtered by like, these are the people who decide how to tell the news. So they have a different reaction to things than the people to whom the event may be happening directly. You know, they always are sort of filtering it through this media lens. And I think that means we can go at stuff more obliquely than we might have to if it were a story about, you know, a Ukrainian soldier. That would be, you know. I love that. I love that lens that you guys have and have found and can articulate that. You know, so many emerging writers, you are trying to get them to articulate that kind of lens, right? You're that's exactly what you're trying to get them to find, that kind of specificity of of how you're going to shape your story through this particular lens. I love that. It's such a great example. Do you, uh, you're in the room, you've, you know, had the whole season set up, all the episodes, all the big character arcs. Um, if something current event happens or 
sorry, if something current event happens, if a current event happens that you think, oh, that would be better, do you go in and uh, redo an episode or part of the season? And in the same way that these actors are also brilliant, if they bring something to the part, do you allow for any changes? And I know, you know, you're writing in advance and I'm just wondering, um, how you can adjust for what's going on in the world more immediately if you do. We do. And I have a couple of great examples. I mean, one thing, you know, of course, when we first met, we were one of the first in-person rooms back in early, early 2022. And people were just so raw. They were raw from the pandemic, from, you know, the George Floyd, you know, the racial reckoning and, confronting all the police brutality. And I think there were just, and the, you know, Trump and the January 6th, like people were just like a little bit battered. And I think a lot of the season came out of that very, very raw and kind of like, um, it's like people were slightly tender, you know, they hadn't grown a skin back from, from the pandemic yet. So, but I just tried to embrace that and make it make it part of the season. So I would say in one case, we had talked about ways we were going to address the George Floyd of it. One, one outcome of that was we decided to do this racist email story. We were like, okay, what is what does a version of racism look like in this very kind of sleek corporate space? Like how could that be surprising and destabilizing? So that's part of where uh, episode three or three came from that really focused on Chris. And it was so good. I'll just jump in there and say, I, so I, I give all credit to to the wonderful writer Josh Allen and uh, our our great director Thomas Carter, who also uh, uh, did some really really good work on it. But um, actually, Karen said to me when she read the flashback episode three hundred five, I think we, I think I want to say something about George Floyd. I think. Um, and a family member had had mentioned it to her. It wasn't that she didn't have the idea, but she was kind of mixed on it because we didn't, you never want to do a sort of glib drive-by version of these extraordinarily, you know, intense and national intractable, very difficult subjects. You don't want to make light of them. Um, but I think she, her suggestion was to do what we did was that Mia was this filter that had to absorb, you know, 400 years of awful things and turn it into a, you know, 90 second clip on the morning show. And like, what does that do to a person? The person has to really like take the blow and then filter it. So that was a case of where we added something through a discussion with an actor. And then we were already going to do the gala episode, the Valentino episode, um, and we didn't know the row leak was coming. And I always, we had the the Corey's mother story. And I'd always thought of Corey's mother as, you know, we'd heard from previous seasons that she was a progressive um, political consultant. And I sort of started thinking about how that woman would feel because she, she was at the beginning and the end of row and the incredible, just, you know, emotional disappointment in, in that decision. But when the leak happened, I was like, wow, this is, this just slots right into this. And we can have this 
incredibly glamorous event where the women are dressed like warriors and they feel so powerful and so so in command of their strength and their sexuality and in control of their bodies and what they're wearing. And then this, you know, this leak T-bones, that whole event. And I was really glad that we were able to put that in and we could have all the different reactions. And I think everyone needed Chris to get really, really mad. Right. Yeah, you needed yeah, someone yeah. to express like pure rage. Um, yes. Absolutely. So that is, we do, we do try to adjust. Uh, and we, we were lucky we had time in that case. And what about having these incredibly powerhouse actresses at the center and very well known in terms of their, uh, their ability, both in terms of as actors and as, um, storytellers in their own right in terms of they each are producers and so how is that incorporated are they brought in at a certain point to talk about their their part before you're getting too far down the road or are they truly staying in, in the actor's position how does that work you know obviously we haven't had these discussions because of the strike but certainly last year uh we talked a lot about, you know, again, we talk about what's your, what's the character arc in the context of the season, but, you know, they, they think about the whole season, the themes, the story area, all the rest of the arcs as well. They're not just focused on their individual characters. So, and some that I've, I've definitely incorporated suggestions they've made, you know, whether it's dialogue or big story suggestions and, you know, they know their characters, they've been playing them longer than I've been on the show. So, you know, it's, oh, I know it's, so they great. can actually, I can learn a lot from them. Yeah. They are. They're so great. What amazing people to have as your partners. Um, just so, so smart. I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, how you run the room of your writers and how you do the, you know, room math, how you staff a room, like what the different parts that you're, your um, parts of writers that you're looking for because we have a lot of emerging writers that listen to the show. And I think they have this idea that they have to be good at all the things all the time and they have to be perfect. And so I'm just curious how you approach staffing a room and then working with the writers in the room because you know everyone's going to be at a different level with different experiences coming from different places. That's, that's such a great question. I mean, I will say this is, I'm going to get horribly sincere and say that again, I think the most interesting thing to me about like being alive is other minds. It really is the chance to just not even being a TV writer, but just being in the world with other people who are, have a different point of view or just can teach you something or challenge you or inspire you. And so even when they may not be in the room with me, I love to read like the Paris review interviews. And, you know, it's like, you're sitting with those writers, even though they may not even be here any longer, you know, whether it's Joan Didion or whatever. So I'm very, I really believe in like the conversation, the hive mind. I'm just a complete and total believer in that. Um, I think the first thing, and I think most showrunners do this is, you know, don't hire a lot of people like you. In fact, try not to hire anybody like you. Um, I, I think that's, that's, that's a truism, but perhaps a little harder to achieve sometimes than, than you think it is. And I think that's right. I noticed, you know, 
when I was in the Homeland Room and I was the least, by far the least experienced writer, I noticed that Alex Gonza didn't expect everybody to be good at everything. Absolutely. It's like, you write this character really well. You're great with the emotional stuff, the sort of, you know, scenes in a operations room with six people trying to run an operation. You know, I think everybody was particularly good at something and he just accepted by accepting people, then they feel they become stronger in the other areas because you you're not putting this thing on them. And you I know and I think everybody's ever been in a room knows you never know where the great idea is going to come from. You never know. So you've got to feel like it's everyone is valued and really cherished. And I think, you know, we've all are in our lives either heard or been in occasionally some, you know, tricky rooms or tricky rooms, even be, not from the writers, but maybe the studio wants a different show than the showrunner wants, you know, so we've all been in these kind of sticky things. And I think it's just so important to like, we're on the lifeboat together and we have to believe in each other and cherish each other. Again, I know it sounds so hokey. No, I love it. I love it. My religion. I really, I love it. And, and, just loving the writers. And, and that's very much the experience trying to, at Pixar too, very much. Well, and actually I was I was listening to your um, story about the final scene in Inside Out and having to write that really, really, really quickly and then discovering how much it it resonated in this idea of lava. Um, you know, Joan Shuckle calls it hot coals, just trying to foster an environment where people can feel safe enough to get to find that little point of heat and discomfort in themselves because mm -hmm. that's where everything good comes from as we know so I think part of your job is to make people feel that if they are going to give you something vulnerable that you're not going to stomp on it or dismiss it especially with the show that you're making right now you know it's so beautifully done looking for that even though it has all the the fun sugar and the and the current events but like you said so much of it is based on or built on those vulnerable human uh, that's what I and I so so love that about the show now I have a question just about uh creating a show in general um so I'd say the biggest question we get from emerging writers or from even established writers who are out there trying to do it um, is what is a show engine? So for you, when you're on, when you're creating your own shows or um, working on a show that has a wonderful engine and you know it because it's humming along, um, what for you are kind of even any elements of a show engine that our writers can think about or me um, and when they're creating a show? I'm going to answer this in such a um, kind of small ball way, I guess. I go back to like, what is, what is the most extreme dilemma you can put this character, you can give to this character. And it might be just like, am I going to break up with this person? Like, it doesn't have to be like, am I going to drop a nuclear bomb? But I think you... I think Martin Scorsese talked about that, right? Like you have to see like, what is the, how much danger can you put in your world? Like whatever world you create, consider the edge of the most dangerous point in that world, at least for that character, which again, could, could be emotional. 
So I sort of, I think a lot about like dilemmas and choices, because that's kind of what I like to watch people making impossible choices. Um, but I love that impossible choices, because I think so many times we really don't make it impossible, right? Like we really haven't pushed it out yeah. far enough. And it's such a great writing exercise. You don't have to do it, but just to try it. Like how far could you push it? Like, I think that's such a great, great context. Love- I do a writing exercise with the writers where I have them write a page and I say, okay, write a page. You're going to write a scene. What's the worst thing that can happen to your character? And I let them write a page. And then I say, okay, now what's even worse than that? And then they write a page. And then what's worse than that? And I keep pushing them and pushing them until they can't get out. And then I say, great, now they're going to use their superpower to get out of it. And, you know, not like a literal superpower, but like the opposite of their super flaw. How are they going to get out of this? Right. And sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. But it's really fun for me to watch writers do what's the worst thing that can happen just as far as you can go. Because you're right, Meg, we don't push our characters as far as we can because we want to keep them safe because we love them. And they're part of us. So it's a weird bubble wrap that happens in our mind and we don't make it too hard. Um, So I love that. I love that idea of, of, of a really crucial element to create. But I hadn't thought of that as in terms of an engine which I really, really like because it's, for me, for TV, right? It's about your character putting themselves in that terrible situation. All the choices that they make add up to, oh my God, I've gotten myself into this terrible situation. Can I get out of it? How can I get out of it? And we know they're going to keep doing it in one way or another. Um, but that's that's a really interesting way. I hope that's what you were saying. I, I think what's hard to me, the, the scariest part to me is the bottom of act two. It's just the bottom of act two. I, I always, how are I, they going to get out of it? <laughs> yeah. And just how are you going to turn over a new card in their character that is both credible and growth, you know, without being like hokey, you know, how can it be organic? How can it feel like some kind of shift. I, I always feel like that is the place stories go to die the bottom of my back too. <laughs> Do you find, are you, for for the show you're on now, are you creating it almost in your mind, at least in three acts? Are you giving them end of act twos, the characters, or is it more kind of TV structure? Uh, actually, I wouldn't even, I couldn't even tell you the arc in a TV show right now off the top of my head because I do three acts because that's all I know how to do. Um, are you thinking the bottom act two for your, per episode or in terms of the season or both? It's pretty early. So we're still just going, do we like this story area? Is this story area? Like we under, we have a sense of the emotional journeys and maybe the reversals, you know, the character thought they wanted one thing so badly. It turns out they didn't get it, but they got, or they got it a different way or something like that. But um I sort of just do the macro, right? The three big beats of the season. Then we just start filling it in a little bit. And as you fill it in, you're like, oh, and episode seven, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or you have the days where, you know, you can't come up with a single thing. (laughs) You just stare at the board and nothing happens and people eat a lot of snacks. I was going to say, except for what to eat. Except for what to eat. When you don't have any good ideas, you know exactly what to have for lunch. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I do think... You know, I often find like a a bad day is followed by a very good day, actually, because I don't know what it is. If it's just like people got a better night's sleep or your brain was just like your unconscious was just working on something and it had nothing to say in the moment. But later it has something to say, you know, and you just have to give it time. When you were on Homeland, which I would 
I don't know if you would officially call it more of a thriller TV yeah. show, but you know, it's more of a, a thriller pace. Is, what's the difference there in creating it or keeping that pace going or respecting that genre in and of itself? I mean, I do have a, listen, I, I'll watch a character study. I'll watch a Bergman movie all day long. I mean, I, you know, I, and also like something like the Beatles get back. Like I love that. I found it so relaxing. I heard there was like a, a double long thing that they're going to release. It's like 16 hours. I was like, oh, my husband's going to be, my husband has already watched it twice. Oh, um, you know, yeah. so I like, I'll watch a slow thing. I, I like really when opera's done well, I really like it because I like that it just, a slow things is like, we're giving so much time to emotion, just emotion, 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 so much emotion. So I really love that. Um, so rhythm is a big thing for me. You know, you need propulsion because you need people to come back next week. Uh, and you need these like sudden reversals fortune just to create some torque. But then how can you, by doing that, then create some space to just be with these person for a minute and a half in silence or like walking or, you know, so I try to give it both if we can, if, if you can do it. Can you talk a little bit about how, about Fosse Verdon and writing um, a project about somebody that was actually alive, people that were actually alive? Yeah, I mean, that one was one where I just couldn't believe I got that job. <laughs> I just was like, what so am I good. doing here? I, I loved in the it wrong so room. It was um, so fun to watch and so good. It, it just, that was just, I, I really couldn't get over that, you know? I mean, and there was a day I came into my office and like Alex Lacamoire, you know, who had worked on Hamilton and all these great shows was like sitting in my office like on a phone call. And I was like, do not leave that chair. <laughs> I just want to hold this moment where Alex Lacamoire was sitting in my chair. Um, so it really was kind of quite dazzling. Um, and I found the material, it was so complex. That's what I loved about it. And the breakthrough for me in that um, was uh, their daughter, uh, uh, Bob and Gwen's daughter, had a lot of tapes because when uh, Bob was thinking about doing all that jazz. He interviewed, he and another man named Bob, a different Bob, interviewed their friends and associates and Gwen and everybody and asked the most pointed questions like, when I, heard, when I had a heart attack, did you want me to die? You know, very, very direct, spicy, spicy questions. And there was one conversation between Patty Chayefsky and, and um, Bob that was like, you could have just typed it out and it could be a one act play. Oh my was, gosh. They were talking at such a high self-aware level. It was amazing. And also it was just like the ghosts brought to life. So that was really exciting. And I kept, I was in the, I was always the person in the room going, but the tapes, but the tapes, but listen to the tapes, but he said on the tape. So I was like the crazy tape lady. Um, but we did end up using some of that, but uh, beyond the sort of juiciness of like listening to the real people talk, it was a reminder of like how sophisticated and complex you can make characters because real people are like this. And yes, they were very sophisticated New York people who went to therapy and all that kind of stuff. But it was just a reminder of like, you actually can't make people too smart in a show. And 
they may have a four different forms of intelligence. They may be like a five-year-old, but and just in terms of honoring people's complexity, that that show really taught me that. I love that perspective, especially like you don't have to be book smart. You don't have to be a certain. Yeah, it's not intellectual necessarily. It's not like how many books you read. Yeah, 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 and uh, that we all have that, and I think that we do important to remember as we're writing complex characters. I think sometimes as a woman. I can um, get distracted by, oh, I'm only good at this one thing, or I'm not good at this thing. And I sort of fixate on the parts of me rather than the whole of me. And I Mm. see that happening in my characters sometimes where they get very compartmentalized and I'm not allowing them to be as layered as they can be. And I don't mean fickle or change. I understand. Yeah. But that there is a complexity in all of us. And uh, I forget it in myself sometimes. And I think that's why I'm so focused right now on what I want, because it's bringing mm-hmm. the whole of me to my daily existence. And um, which is how I'm hopefully writing better characters then, because I'm allowing them to be all of what they are and and then controlling what they show. But I, I love that. Because I think we think as a society that if you're smart, you're more valuable, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, right. And, and as all, you say, there are a lot of different ways to be smart. Yeah. And, and I mean, like the intellectual smart right. people, right. you know, all of the characters are an example of this, all of them in your show. Um, Reese's character is so clearly um, spanning different parts of herself. She's and divided. Absolutely. She's so divided. And yeah. and the episode um, where we're kind of going back in time a little bit and catching up. Um, I don't remember. I think that said four or five. I can't remember. It's five, yeah. The the flash five. Um, Island, I yeah. just loved her character in that because she is really moving so many different complex places as a character. All, I mean, it's really astounding from this very professional, amazing, brave. She's a she's a news person too. My mom died, and I am literally breaking and regressing just watch her regress in that argument into this other person that she used to be or still partly is and the defense that under under her under that incredible pressure and grief what came out I mean and then she's you know I mean there's so many different places then she has to go humble herself like I just thought wow that is a master class and in this kind of character and how layered a character can be and exactly what you're talking about. It's that particular show, that particular character. It's also in the writing. There's an authenticity and a, and a, and a, and a wonderful construction to her character. They're all very, it all feels very true. That's, that's good to hear. It was that, you know, I had the idea of like, you know, the, my pandemic episode very, very early on. And, um, the person who wrote that episode actually met his wife during the pandemic. Uh, they they quarantined together, so I was like, okay, you're the one writing this one, and and Xander just really hit it out of the park. I thought it was it was it was beautiful. Yeah, and it it's just really it's good. rare that you can get away from UBA and spend so much time, um, you know, offsite outside of New York, just with these people going through this thing. That was that was uh, you know an, a real opportunity for us that. Awesome. It was, and you guys took wonderful advantage of that opportunity with all of those characters. Jeff, you wanted to ask a question? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm a writer-director, Charlotte, um, but in features only, and I don't have any experience with TV. And I feel like the role of the director is very different in TV. 
But I will say for a show like Morning Show, where Mimi Ladder is a directing EP and she's been around from the start, that show does feel very directed. So I, I'm asking a very broad question, but we haven't really talked about television directors on the show much. And I know that the role and how involved directors are changes from production to production. But can you talk a little bit about the showrunner director relationship on set and maybe how it's been different on the different productions you've been on? I have to say I'm one of those writers who doesn't want to direct because I love a director coming to the script and making it more visual or opening up a small moment. So I'm like, please make my work better. <laughs> um, and I just, I love how director sees things so different and then how different directors see things. And I've been on, I was on set a fair amount on Homeland. So I got to see how, um, you know, different directors sort of treated Carrie and, you know, imagine the Carrie Quinn scenes, you know, across, across the season or something. So, I mean, I think I've been very fortunate both to work with Leslie Linka-Glatter and Mimi Leader, you know, they're both just legends and they very, they were very kind about helping me learn, like, when do I give the note? You know, when you're younger, you're like, when do I say the note and what do I say? Because the director has 10 seconds to hear it and then go back and say one thing to the actor. Um, so I think that's a skill you really have to learn. And then once you know how to do that better and more respectfully, then a director will trust you and you, you have more of a conversation. So I love when that kind of relationship develops, but I think with a producing director, you know, someone who's there all the time, they're absolutely your partner and they're trying to, you know, essentially scale up and make a 3D model of what you're thinking about and always trying to think of the the cinema of it, right? Um, they're just trying to, like, how can we tell this story more, more visually? Um, so Mimi and I on this show are very close. We talk all the time about absolutely edit everything. We sit in the edit room together. You know, we pick over like, should it be, should we take out six frames here or 12 frames here? I mean, we get absolutely so granular. And then with the guest directors, I often find that, especially when you do your tone meeting, you always learn something about the script when you tone. You know, they're like, well, why is this? And you're like, oh, I can't answer that question. Hmm, maybe I better go back and look at the scene. Or you, you know, or they say like, why she could do this here? And, you know, you could just have this one moment of, and that suddenly opens up the whole thing to you or emotionally is like a door that, you know, enriches things. So I actually love those conversations because I feel like it is a visual medium. And this is a show where people just talk a lot. And I love it when you talk, 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 and then just leap into a nonverbal scene. You know, I think that's a relief to the audience and also like just lets that emotion rise. So, yeah, I mean, and I think TV directors are, you know, if you if you're good at it and you stay in the business, they just come in. They're so efficient. They're so smart about like picking up all the rules of the show. And I really it's like you're at the new kid in school for two weeks and you have to make it work. And I can imagine that's really hard. Can you for just uh for our list, uh, emerging writer listeners, can you tell what it, uh, them what a tone meeting is that you would have with a director? Yeah, so tone meeting usually is when you sit with the director, um, the showrunner, possibly the writer of the episode, uh, the editor, and sometimes the first AD, and you walk through essentially, certainly scene by scene and sometimes line by line, what's going on, uh, what's the 
literally what's the tone of the scene? Is it like to be a good be talking is like, is it more like a thriller or is it more like a drama? Is there a sense of something hanging over the scene or is it just what's happening between the two people? Like what's the subtext? What is this character carrying from the previous scene and how is it affecting them? So you're really going, doing a deep, deep dive into um, what is the story doing in the scene? And also what are, what are the characters doing and trying to be phenomenally specific about that. And you may even be like, uh, you know, I really don't want her to sit down in the scene ever or, you know, the light, this should be during sunset and the light fades. And by the end of the scene, it's dark or something. I mean, that's, these are random examples, but, um, but it's so great. I feel like we should find a way to incorporate this into writing features, because if you had to sit down with your feature with someone else and go scene by scene and say these things, boy, you'd find out pretty quick where you're cheating, where you don't really know. <laughs> uh, that's my tap dancing over here. Or, oh, my gosh, I forgot that. Or that's the beat. I, I'm going to I'm going to. Oh, my gosh. I, I I didn't even know that. It, that didn't happen in features. <laughs> Actually, I always think. Well, I, may, no, may, we're not going to have this happen. Otherwise, no one's going to buy it. And then somebody else is going to direct it. Don't give up the secrets. We know everything <laughs> we're doing in the feature. We know everything. Under, understood. I, I am as a child and you're educating me. <laughs> so um, one last question here before we get to our final three questions. Um, and Because I know you are very, very busy. Um you know, for you, who were some of your important mentors or or just what did you learn from them? Or how do you like to mentor or just any kind of advice for our younger writers coming up? And before you answer this, I do want to say you're so lovely about giving credit and being inclusive with everyone that you work with. And I, it's really inspiring and comforting to listen to you talk about your teams. So I, I have a similar question as Meg about your mentors? I think you're, you know, it's probably true of everybody on this podcast. Like you're, you know, when you're seven and or eight and you see like Lawrence of Arabia for the first time, or, you know, all about Eve, like those are your kind of first mentors, right? They're the people who stir something and you're like, wow, I, that's a great scene. I don't even, I have no sense of it as someone wrote it. I just understand that that had such a powerful impact on me. So I think like some, you know, your what you respond to at the deepest level is like formed so early by the things you watch, you watch and read. And I, I really have to say, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've had a lot of people, you know, help me along the way, even just advice, even if it wasn't like, I'm going to be your mentor, just people kind of casually saying, just steer a little more to the right there, or like, maybe don't do that, or maybe read this book, or maybe try that pass again. Um, people helped me and it didn't work, you know, there were people early that someone tried to get me an agent didn't work. But just the fact that he thought he could pass my script to an agent was amazing for me. You know, and also the universe was like, you're not good enough yet. You have to keep working like you don't you shouldn't have an agent yet. And I think the universe was 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 right. And then, you know, sometimes you just dumb luck into some situations like Homeland was just dumb luck. I happened to be looking for a job when Alex Gonza needed a showrunner's assistant and 
there was this other project that was a documentary I was doing. And I remember I had the meeting about the documentary and the meeting with Alex on the same day. And, you know, he was like, let's do it. It was like five minutes before the room started. I think it was a Friday and the room started on Monday. And I talked to him and I was like, this is, I'm going to learn from this person. And this person is like a serious person, but also a kind person. And I can, uh, and honestly, you know, you look back, we all do this. Like I made as many mistakes as any assistant, you know, like it's a long road and you mess up a lot. And now I am so bemused at how much he must have tolerated <laughs> from my unforced errors of which there were a number. <laughs> um, so I try, I try to take that when younger people are working with me or less experienced people, I just always try to remember like, oh yeah, I, I walked into it so many times, like completely unnecessary, you know? Um, but I do think like watching other people do it, it helps a lot. And, you know, just the behind the scenes, if you're an assistant, like, you find out like how, when they decide to send flowers to somebody, when, oh, the actor calls and you talk for three hours. Oh, okay. Oh, you have to negotiate the writer's assistant salary. Like you learn all the like behind the scenes stuff. And I'll just, I'm sorry for the long answer, but the last thing is like, I love this. I think Alex said it, but the definition of a showrunner is someone who does things that a showrunner shouldn't have to do. Ouch. I love that. But it's so good because that's just life, right? That is just like, then you he learn. He wasn't, I don't even think he was like, yeah, put out by it. I think he was more like, you know, perpetually amused by like, this is what your crazy job entails, you know? Yeah, but that's, I love that because that's how much we love this. This is how much we love stories, right? Like, yes, I will do that. What else do I have to do to get this and to make, help it birth into the world? Like that, yeah. that kind of passion Absolutely. is what you need. And I know I can just from your work, I can see from your work that you have that kind of passion. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We have three questions that we always end with. We ask every guest. So I will start which which is um what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? Or showing. Yes, or I would showing. say no, it's a really gorgeous. I would say one other writers, which I've already spoken about, but I think anytime you're writing a scene and your unconscious gifts you with an idea or a line or a turn or something. I love that too. Like, Thank you, unconscious, for helping me out. <laughs> Sometimes it's just dead quiet for days, you know, but the few times where you go, oh, and it almost doesn't feel like it's coming from you. You know, you just feel like the universe is like, go this way. And, but it came because you stayed and kept asking. You kept, you know, right? Like that is, I agree. Like Joan Shekel, you know, her mantra, like the craft is to stay. The craft is to stay. I must say that to myself 4,000 times a week. The craft is to stay. I had that happen today when I was working on a pitch. There was something not quite clicking with it. And so I opened it and I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I was like, oh my God, I figured it out. Oh my God, I figured it out. It was very exciting. It is. I mean, it's a high you it. chase, right? You get it once and you're like, oh. I'm not going to reread it until tomorrow to make sure that yeah, it's don't. don't. But for now, no. leave it, it was leave magic. It. It, the line, the one line I came up with that I wrote and I was like, oh my God, that was it. That was it. And I saved it real quick and filed it just for now. <laughs> totally relate. Totally. Um, so the second question is what pisses you off about writing and or show running?
I think this is just part of my temperament, but I find it hard to do anything else while I'm show running or even think about anything else. I kind of am a one thing at a time person. So I think other people occasionally suffer from the fact that I just can't have any other thoughts except about the show. And I'm always like, I want to feel at the end, there's nothing more I could have done. So whatever it is, I can just be like, well, the world thought this or that, but I could not have done anything else. That's like the only way I can kind of live with the work. You know, they, they take it out of your hands. I love so that. I, we can include this in the show or not, but I had that experience and, but I was so exhausted at the end. Like I was so fully I felt guilty that I hadn't been able to write anything else, like all the guilt and the beating myself up. I felt, you know, like I'd neglected all these relationships. I'd neglected all these projects. So I had all that sort of looming, but I was so horribly exhausted. Yes, I'd given everything. There was nothing else I could have done, which I feel really good about, but it took me so long to recover from it. That How do you manage that? Or do you, <laughs> or if I just laid out what actually happens to every showrunner? I think you do. You do. By the end, you're you're pretty drained. But then I think the the joy of that is like by the time you've like written the last you know uh, end of episode for for your last episode, then I think you're revived again by edit by editorial and post, and it's a new set of people. And I also just love editors, so I think you're really buoyed by that because you're seeing it come together and even in the editorial room, you're like, I don't have to shoot anything anymore. <laughs> you know, mostly you might yeah, do a like reshoot a or two, but you're like, oh my God, I'm in the edit room. It's over. <laughs> I don't have to go to set. You know, I mean, set is great, but yes, it beats, it beats you up after a while. I'm so impressed with crew members. I don't, I don't know how they do it, but um, so there's sort of a new thing to sort of, to draw you, you know, forward, I think. And you're like, oh, it's a new set of problems. Let's dig in, you know. There is kind of like a distinct relief when you get to post, like whether or not you got everything you needed, you're kind of like, oh, production is done. Like the big expensive chunk, you know, no matter what you have. So I totally relate to that. Um, Charlotte, the last question we always ask is if you could go back and have a coffee with your younger self, sort of like right before her big break, um, if that is even a real thing, um, what would you tell that Charlotte? What advice would you give? And such a good question. I think as a young writer, like in my teens, I would have said, it's okay that you're not gonna be very good for a, a really long time. Trust that you have something to say, you just don't know quite how to say it yet. And I wish I could have heard that as a teenager. I Thank think you. I thought, oh, I if I can't, you know, if I can't write like Chekhov, I should just stop, you know, and that's just so silly. That's just not helpful. So I guess it's more that like that, that very younger self. I think by the time I came out here, I was a little older and I still didn't know anything about TV writing, but I had more self, you know, to withstand all the knocking around that happens in the town. I think I need to hear that every time I start a new script. I know, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's not going to be as good as you want it to be right off the bat, but just write it, stay in it keep going, yeah. waiting for that magic moment. But that blank page always makes me feel like I 
I've made terrible mistakes to get where I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what did I do? I do understand that. I think like screenwriting is a whole different kettle of fish. You know, I, I have such respect for people who can just sit in a room by themselves and crank out 120 pages. It's amazing. No, I like, I like the room. I like, I like both for different yeah. reasons, right? I right? like whichever one I'm not in. <laughs> yes, I like exactly. whichever one is paying me. If you're paying me. I love it. Let's Indeed. do it. That too. That too. Sure. Charlotte, thank you so much for being on the show. And by the I my favorite thing that I'm going to take from today is spicy questions. I love that. Spicy, spicy questions. Spicy. What are the spicy questions? So many wonderful things, but that is particularly, I love that phrase, spicy Thank questions. you so much. Super inspiring. Um, it's really a, a fun to hang out with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Charlotte for joining us today. And you guys go check out our Facebook group for additional support from our wonderful listeners and us. Lori and I jump on there all the time and, and answer questions. And it's just a beautiful community. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. <laughs>